Flip, a big night coming up for you because as we record this, we are on the eve of your induction into the Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Flip, tell me, we have hours to go. What are your emotions like right now? Um, I never thought it would hit me the way it's hitting me. And I, I just sort of, <laughs> believe it or not, I, I'd worked on the speech for a little bit here and there. But last night, um, as we record this, this is like uh, tomorrow's the day. And this was so two days before I, uh, I really got down to working on the speech and I stayed up about 12 hours working on. Oh, this wow. And I kept going in. I mean, they want like five minutes and I think it runs last time I checked like an hour and 12 minutes. <laughs> so I'm going to have to do some trimming here and there, but I, I, uh, but I really just wrote down all my thoughts about all this. It makes like a mini book is what it is, but obviously you can't do that. And I can't bore the bore everybody with all this stuff. So I would, uh, you know, but when it comes time to delivery, it'll probably be between six and seven minutes, but uh, it's a very emotional six and seven minutes. And I, I, uh, like I said, I put a lot of thought into it. There's a lot of interesting things I discuss and I tried not to make it, believe it or not. I tried not to make it about me. I believe it. No, I absolutely believe it. Yeah. You are, um, you're humble. You might not say it, but you're humble. And I'm going to say a lot of things about you in this episode that you probably wouldn't say yourself. Uh, and that's no, proof I might, of it. Let's... I might, if you test me, I might say it. <laughs> you know, we'll say, you never know me. Oh, let's, um, for context, let's, let's do your fellow class members in this Hall of Fame because it's, sure. it's something else. Let's start with Charles Barkley. Like, stop right there. Charles Barkley, Basketball Hall of Famer, going in with you. Um, I, mean, I mean, if that's not, if that's not a headline, I don't know what is. I mean, he's, He's one of the greats in the industry. He's one of the greats in the history of the industry. He's, uh, uh, he's not only his acumen as, a, as obviously in his qualifications to be a, a, a first-rate, uh, you know, the basketball analyst, but you know his sense of humor, his his intelligence, his wit, his his um, his his honesty. I mean, everything he does cuts through. Whether again, is his sincerity or his outspokenness, or again, a sense of humor, everything he does just cuts through and. Uh, uh, he is, without question, one of the great analysts in the history of, of any sport, let alone basketball. So to go to be part of that class that has him in it is, uh, is a special honor. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, to uh, hopefully meeting him. I, I've never met him, so I'm, I'm actually looking forward to this. And, you know, James Brown is in the class and a lot of people I know. So I'm, 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 I'm excited to be part of this, of this illustrious group. James Brown, of course, one of the greatest NFL studio hosts of this generation. Um, a couple others here, Don Cornelli, he was a camera operator for 30 mm -hmm. years for the NFL, mm -hmm. Tim Fincham, former PGA sure. tour commissioner. Good guy. Good guy. Is he, I haven't met him. Um, yeah, that's absolutely re revolutionized. Uh, I mean, it was under, under his, his, you know, uh, stewardship. I mean, the Tiger Woods, I mean, you know, so I mean, let's get, uh, you're going to sell a sport. I mean, uh, you had to have Tiger Woods, but you, obviously, but you had to have someone who knew how to to, to market that and to, to you know, to uh, max that, to, to, to take the PGA where it needed to go. And, and, and obviously together between the tour and, and Tiger, they took it where it needed to go. But, but he certainly is in the, is in the forefront of uh, their success, no doubt. I do know that during his stewardship, the purses went up considerably. Um, <laughs> Hugo Gagioni, current CTO of Sony Electronics. Fred Gaudelli, executive producer Fred of Gaudelli. Sunday Night Football. Fred Gaudelli is, is one of the great uh, live producers in, uh, uh, in the history of sports. Uh, 
He uh, he's been at, uh, doing the uh, the Sunday night package. I think pretty much since its inception. I never how many years ago that was a long time ago now. But uh, but he's a he's a, he's a he knows football. I mean, I get credit for baseball for a lot of things in baseball, but he, he knows football as well as anybody knows any sport. And uh, and he's a good guy. I mean, I've known him for many years, and he's a first-rate producer. He richly deserves the honor. Two more names: Phyllis George of NFL Today, a true true trailblazer. Yes, Tom Sahara former VP of operations and technology for Turner sports. So you're looking at mm-hmm. nine giants in the broadcasting world. Giants you're in there. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be an amazing time. Where's it being held this year? Flip? That's at the Hilton in New York city. Okay. Who's hosting? Uh, Leslie Visser's the host. She's the MC. Okay. Is she every year? She was the host when I was, I last She's one I went to was 20. Yeah. I mean, Jim Nance had hosted a, a, quite a few of, they've had a few of them, but, uh, Leslie seems to be like she's retiring the role lately. She's, good. she's a Leslie, fellow she's Hall a of Famer. She's, oh, she's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, absolutely. I believe it was she's 2017. A lot, of fun. She's a lot yeah. of fun. She's a great lady. You've worked with her, right? Yes, I know her. I know her well. When I was at ABC Sports, so she worked for me. And uh, we, she used to work at the Kentucky Derby every year. And I, we go to the Derby. And, uh, you know, she'd say to me, uh, you excited about this? I, I didn't know a lot about horse racing. No. She'd say to me, uh, what do you know about horse racing? I said, what I know about horses, I know about horses. The last time I saw a horse that had a cop on top of it. So <laughs> I don't know a lot about horse racing, but uh, but she did. So that's why she was on the event and she was terrific. And she brought, uh, I mean, when you could bring class to the Kentucky Derby, you, you're, you're saying a lot. And Leslie certainly always brought that. All right. I want to NFL paint just football, up. NFL football, sideline report. I mean, she was a pioneer. I mean, like, like Susan Walden, you know, like uh, Donna Deverona, they were pioneers that the women were not always welcome in, in clubhouses and locker rooms and they had to deal with a lot and they they certainly dealt with and held their own and and uh, made their mark in the industry and and you know and allowed the uh, you know pushed forward the advancement of women in sports there's no doubt that they did that because he was certain that definitely a deserving hall of famer i want to list a few other hall of famers just so the listeners know what we're working with here and know just how prestigious this is and these are just a few names that i pulled out bob mm-hmm. costas Howard Cosell, Jack Buck, Gary Bettman, John Madden, Ted Turner, Bud Selig, Marv Albert, Dick Vitale, Paul Tagliabue, David Stern, Vin Scully, and George Steinbrenner. Like These names are right here, the top, and you're it's alongside actually, them. Well, I, I, you know, listen, I, I don't know about my place in this thing, but I will tell you that the those are those are giants, and they richly deserve their spot of honor. And uh, I mean, what they did to to revolutionize revolutionize sports and revolutionize the broadcasting business is is just it's beyond words and beyond description. And and uh, you know their presence and their skill and their 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 sheer talent and 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 um, seeing things that quite frankly others didn't see uh, in their respective parts of the business that propelled them to where they got and. And in many cases, their treatment of people helped cement that, you know, not always in all cases, but in many cases, uh, they were, these people were as great a people as they were talents. So I intentionally left George Steinbrenner last. I thought he'd be a nice segue to get into your mm-hmm. yes career, mm-hmm. um, which has been more than 20 years mm-hmm. uh, and has played a major part in your career. Tell me, how did your relationship with Mr. Steinbrenner start and how did it lead to your being the first hire, I believe, at yes? Uh, wow. Um, I had known, I can't try to remember the first time I met George Steinbrenner. Um, 
I don't really recall the first time I met him, because but that shows you how many times, I mean, I had met him many times over the years, so I don't remember exactly the first time I met him. I do know, like, the first time I had a run-in with him was uh, during, the, during the World Series in, like, 19... I want to say 70, 70, it must have been 78. Yeah, 78, because 77 ABC has. So I was at NBC 78 World Series. I think it was the first time uh, I had a run-in with him. And he was very, he was very, uh, he was very uh, uh, vociferous in his, uh, in his, uh, uh, it had to do with our mobile unit at NBC was parked uh, uh, in, the, in the parking lot <laughs> next to Yankee Stadium and our mobile unit, which is where they, you know, we do the television production from, was a, a couple of inches over the, uh, over the line into someone, so another parking spot. And he came roaring into the truck saying, you know, that thing needs to be moved. And, you know, it was like, it was like 10 minutes there. And I said, well, wait, but we, we got God, 10 minutes. I said, so well, I can't this thing. And so he became uh, rather indignant about it. And uh, I became equally indignant and told him, uh, he says, well, I'm going to call your boss. And I said, well, here's a dime. In those days, you know, you a <laughs> dime, call my boss. It was Art Watson, the great part Watson didn't receive. So he, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, whatever. It, uh, Is that hyperbole? It, it became rather interesting, and uh, but I, you know, I, I held my ground, and so you know, I don't know. A couple of years later, I guess, and I hadn't talked to him for a couple of years, and then and I'd run into the years or whatever, and then uh, I got a phone call. I mean, I'd known him, but we didn't really, you know, talk for all that much, and and uh, they were starting. Yes, and um, got a phone call from him and Randy Levine, and he said he wanted to talk to me, and I said uh, about. He says to me, I want you to consider, uh, you know, running, yes, uh, running the production programming, et cetera, for yes. And, you know, I had had a name in baseball. I mean, I, I, it was, I, mean, I cut my teeth at NBC Sports. I was, a, uh, I was a, you know, a lead producer on the Game of the Week. I produced a number of World Series, you know, All-Star Games, playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, I mean, everybody in the game pretty much knew me, and I knew pretty much everybody in the game. So, and I had a good reputation for, you know, for baseball production. And he said to me, I, you know, I'd like you to consider this. And I said, I don't know if I want to work for you. And he said to me, what do you mean you want to work for me? I said, I don't know. I'm not sure. He said, why? What's, is it money? I said, no, I didn't even know. I didn't know what the money was. I didn't even ask. I just said, I just, I don't know that I could work for you. And he says, oh, is it that thing we had a couple of years ago? I said, that, you mean that, that argument, the truck thing? And he says, yeah. I said, well, sure. Some of it. He says to me, oh, you got to have thicker skin than that. I didn't think wow. it's skin to that. I said, okay, I don't think it's skin to that. So I, I, I went home, I talked about it with, with my wife, Jenna, and, you know, I do it, not do it. You know, she says, well, what's the offer? I said, I don't even know. She said, maybe you don't know the offer. No. So, so I waited a day or two. He called me back. He says, are you going to take the job? I said, I don't know what the offer is. So he made me an offer. It was, it was substantial, you know, so it wasn't going to be about that. And I said, well, I, I need to have, I need you to assure me that this is going to be I didn't like regional networks. You know, I didn't like what the few of them that were in existence. I mean, they were, they didn't spend a lot of money. The productions were very, you know, they, they lacked, uh, you know, I don't know. To me, to me, I wanted, if I was going to do this, I wanted it to look like a network. It needed to look big. It needed to be a show. It needed to represent what the Yankees it needed to mirror the New York Yankees and, and, and the prestige and the image that they had. And I, I didn't, and, and he felt the same way. He didn't want, he didn't want his network, his network, HIS, because it was his, he didn't want his network to, to be second place to anybody or anything. I mean, to him, there was no such thing as, you know, there was no such thing as, uh, you know, a second place in George Steinbrenner's world. So it had to be first place. It had to be prestige. It had to be, it had to be the Tiffany, you know, the gold standard. And I was all for that because I always believed in every place I've been, particularly in my baseball work, 
that I, I, I've always believed in, in quality. I tried to work with the, make sure we had the best announcers. If I had a say in it, make sure we had the best, um, you know, we had the best equipment, make sure we were, we were on the cutting edge of technology, make sure we always told the, told the right narrative in terms of storytelling, you know, make sure that we had everything we needed to do to put the proper production on it, to, to make it a pristine, you know, production, because to me that was important because it represented, you know, it represented the sport of baseball, which I really loved. And I had, it was very schooled in, I mean, my dad ran a bar across the street from Ebbets Field and I grew up around the game of baseball. So to me, it was, it was second nature, the game, but also I, I, it was, uh, it was an outlet for me. It was a, a what was the words I'm looking for? It was a, um, I found a, a path for my passion. You know, I found a, I found a place for my passion and that was in the game of baseball. So this all mattered to me, I, but we were kindred spirits as it came to the idea of this, of this network. And I, I relented and, you know, and I took the job. So you said yes, yes. then came time to program the network, given yes. that it's, Mr. Steinbrenner's network, it's the Yankees, it's New York City, it's the Mecca. I assume that you did it on like a scroll and with a calligraphy pen. Like, <laughs> tell that story. <laughs> How you programmed oh, the network. Like, good Lord. Um, well, let's start with this. After I took the job, I, this, is, this is really true. This is honest to God true. I didn't know. I took the Listen to this. September 10th of 2001 like the yeah. day before, right? So obviously, who knew about the horror of what was going to happen on the 11th, obviously, and that, that against the backdrop of that grief and that pain and that hurt and everyone being so stunned um, was on top of that, I, I thought we had a year to put this thing together. I didn't realize when he said March, I didn't know he meant that March. So we literally had from September 10th to like March 14th or something like that to launch this network. Now you could say, well, you got October, November, December, January, February, and even part of us had like five months, five and a half months. Well, no one, I mean, you're talking about a network. You're talking about mobile units and cameras and infrastructure and producers and directors and on-air talent and a 24 seven network, which means programming. You know, features, what were the programs going to be when you weren't doing the Yankee game? What'd you do in the off season? You know, wh where were your studios, you know, going to be? Um, you know, we, we could go on. The list is endless. Uh, who, who's designing the graphics? What's the music going to be? The, the production components on this are staggering. And when you've got a year is, is not nearly enough, but forget about a year, we got five months to do this. So we had five months to do it. And we're up against the ticking clock of, you know, of this debut that George really insisted that he wanted to have because he had no other deal. If this thing, if we hadn't got on the air, the Yankees wouldn't have been on the air because he had left Cablevision. Uh, he had left the Dolans in, in a dispute and said, I'm starting my own television network. And that's an whole other story. And so we, we really were forced to try to make this thing, shoehorn this thing into the, the, the limited amount of time we had. And literally when we started this thing, I had a cocktail napkin. And I wrote ideas when I when I met with George and Randy Levine. I literally I'm writing things on the back of a cocktail napkin, like ideas that I had. What he said to me, we also run the programming. And I said, in those days, you know what DVRs now they, they used to be VCRs. And so I said, I don't know how to program a VCR, let alone a network. I have no idea. I've never done this before. He said, Well, you know what? You're really you're really smart. You'll figure it out. Literally that. that so then I got charge of program. Now in charge of the entire not only like how to put the games on here. With that I knew. If I had to go in the truck and produce them myself, 
I knew that we could do that. I knew I'd get a good director. I knew that we could do the games, which was the biggest part of this, truthfully. But the reality is we had all these other components that make up the games that had to be done. People had to be hired. I mean, it, and, and things had to be, all the elements that you need to do a network had to be put into place. So this is, a, this is you talk about Mission Impossible. This is Mission Impossible without Peter Graves, Tom Cruise, Stephen Hill, whoever played, you know, Mr. Phelps or Mr. Hill, whoever, this is, this is it. This is as Mr. Hunt, whatever, this is as crazy as it gets. So that, that's what we were up against. And literally I had a, I had a cocktail napkin, a yellow pad and a lot of dreams and ideas. That was it. And you presented them to Mr. Steinbrenner and he said, go get those two guys. Well, that's, that's part of it. When we started talking about the programming, you know, he said to me, what do you got? So I, uh, I had my little cocktail napkin. I, I write things on my cocktail. That's how I work, really. And so, because it's easy, it's fold up, it's portable, right? It's easy to write things. Down. <laughs> so, yeah, as opposed to a notebook, yeah, yeah. yeah, about a coal it comes in handy too. I mean, it's got a lot of interesting, interesting uses in cocktail napkin. So, I, uh, as opposed to a notebook, you're right. That's too much, too much effort for me to carry around. It's too much work. So I, uh, so I had this thing, well, this ideas written down. So he says to me, "What do you got?" I said, uh, "Well, I got like a, you know, like a." a like biography of Yankee players. I guess I have a working title. What does it call us? Yankeeography. I love that. I love that. That's a great idea. Let's do that. I mean, if you think of it, we could do it. We can do anything we want, right? It's our own network. Do whatever you want, right? Okay. So they like that. Great. Now, what we had to do was go, I don't know, put about a hundred different Yankee former greats, former greats, great players, whatever, find find an hour format, go find all the footage, edit it, shoot it, narrate it, and have by the way, by the way, have it ready in four months or five months. Good luck to you on that. So that that was that was first mission. Okay, that was going to be hard, but but I knew where to go with that. I approached Major League Baseball and eventually, and I talked to them and I said, "Look, we'll oversee it. I want input. Into, I want to oversee this and I want to approve these, but and I'll help you do them. But you need to you you have all the footage and you have all the expertise. You go sit down and you do it with me overseeing it. And that's what happened. That's how the Yankeeography came into existence. But the, that was Yankeeography. Like I wanted to do a long form interview show. I, I basically did stuff that interests me in the hope that it would interest the Yankee fan. But because I really did. I never admitted it as a, as a as a professional, you know, that I had a rooting interest for the Yankees, but I, I did secretly. But I never let that come in and feel my job. I was always able to do a subjective job, you know, do it right down the middle. But the reality is that you know, if I had a rooting interest, of course I rooted for the Yankees. I, they were my the team of my childhood after the Brooklyn Dodgers deserted the, us in Brooklyn. I I became a, a diehard Yankee fan, as what say I probably didn't want to. I had, I had no other team, but that's where I went, and I and I loved it. And then so they were my team, and so the idea of like working for them with them around them and having and never having to really sort of hide the fact that hey, i'm a yankee fan it's like this is a network if you're a met fan if you're a red Sox fan you, you don't watch yes you watch whatever you watch if you're a yankee fan this is your network it's going to be your network it's your home it's your destination for all things yankees come here you will get the yankee news you will get you know your yankee plays you will get yankee shows you will get all the things you want and if that's not for you then you go someplace that is for you but there was a huge there was a big enough number for this to work so it was it was tremendously exciting for me, and I, I uh, and so I kept rolling out these ideas. And center stage was a show I wanted to do about long form interviews. So they, they said you can't do that because there's shows like Inside the Actors Studio and stuff like that. There, there were already interview shows on the air. I said, well, what if we took celebrities and we talked to them about sports? Then the, Inside the Actors Studio was about actors in a studio, talking about to to you know people who are theater students and stuff. Uh, they said, uh, uh, film majors and stuff. And they said, okay, well, you, it would be about that. I said, absolutely. 
Well, it, it was not about that a lot more. It became This Is Your Life, but we did ask a lot of sports questions, so we were able to get away with that, which was great. And that filled us, that gave us a lot of programming because we could shoot these things at a time when celebrities really wanted to do those kind of shows. We could shoot center stage. We could shoot Yankeeography. We could shoot those kind of shows. And we, they were evergreen. You ran them once, you ran them twice, you could run them 50 times. You know, right at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon, whatever. You just plug it into a schedule. And if you had enough of them, it would work. And we, we were able to accumulate enough to get going. Get Yankee Classic Games, which were great. We could do that. They, we didn't realize, we thought we'd have a, a limited number of them. And the reality is there were very few in existence. A lot of them got erased. They weren't kept, which we was sad to find that out, but they were. But we got our hands on a couple of them, like the Bucky Dent home run game and a couple, at least to start the network, we had that. We did a Barker show, which explained what yes was and what, what we would try to give the Yankee fan and why this was important that they watch. If you're a fan, you're going to love this. It's your network. We, those kind of shows. We did a, a show called What's It Worth, which was, I mean, I, that was an idea from the Traveling Road show on PBS, where people would go and they'd say, yeah, this is my, uh, I don't know, I found this in my father's grandfather's attic that is a Civil War uniform or whatever it was. And, oh, this is real. It's legitimate. It's worth whatever. So we would do that about and we'd ask people to come and visit us and bring us their sports memorabilia that they found in the attic or their grandfather had given them or whatever. And we made a show out of that. So that was called What's It Worth? So we had a, a lot of original shows. We were very ambitious. Nobody was doing original shows that nobody did that. I mean, they would do interview shows. It would be like a, a talent sitting there with a black background and three cameras. That's what they did. So, but we changed that. We, we upped the, grade, the number of cameras. We, we put production quality. I mean, again, this is about quality. The Yankees are about quality. This network was going to be about quality. And when he said to me, George and Randy said to me, you know, Flip, just go with this because, you know, we trust you and you, you want what we want. This was music to my ears. This was like the greatest thing since the invention of ice cream to me. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of what happened with all that. That's a, kind of so, a, a 20 minute answer to it, like a 30 second question, but I'm sorry. <laughs> But I think it's important. And that's that's how you got to yes. That's how you got to present day. But I want to rewind all the way. How did you get in the industry? How did you land your first gig? And I think I know the answer, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, if I do know the answer, I'm going to give the Cliff Notes version after you go, because I love it. Uh, I took the tour of NBC Sports. I had uh, uh, NBC Sports. I took the tour. I'm sorry. I took the tour of NBC, and I had always wanted to take the guided tour. In those days, actually, they still give them, uh, and you would pay like I guess two dollars or two two dollars and fifty cents, and they would, you'd take a tour. A tour guide would take you around NBC, and they show you like the the newsroom, or you know where, the, where they would do the shows, and they would show you like uh, 8H, where you know the, the all the famous all the radio shows that come from, and. And at the time, they were in rehearsal for a show that was called NBC Saturday Night, which became Saturday Night Live. So they were in rehearsal. That's how long ago this is, right? It's like 47, 48 years ago. But they were in rehearsal for that show. So nobody knew who these people were. But every day you'd see, you know, you'd see Gilda Ratner and Dan Aykroyd and John Bellucci and, you know, Garrett Morris and Chevy Chase and all those people walking around NBC. I mean, Dan Aykroyd coming in the elevator with his motorcycle. He just climbed right in the elevator with his motorcycle. And, you know, and, uh, you know, and you'd see like uh, Chevy Chase rehearsing. They'd fall down the stairs. I mean, you would see this kind of stuff. Like every day, because I was in the, I started as a copy boy 
Uh, like I said, I took the tour of NBC. I left the tour. I wound up getting a job as a copy boy, which is a desk assistant. It's, it's basically a gopher. You're going running for errands. And the news in those days used to come across on teletype machines. So my job would be to change the teletype, you know, ribbons, and bring the wire copy if a story broke. That was a big story. Make sure that the, the news editor who was on duty got the, got the bulletin, the special report, and he could make sure that the NBC correspondents got it. And if it was a big enough story, we'd get on air. Like they'd rewrite it or give it to the Today Show people or the nightly news people or Huntley and Brinkley of those days we're coming out of NBC. So there was a lot of history and, and the whole idea of the environment was so was so consuming to me. It was like nothing I'd ever seen. And I, I was in love with this at first sight. They talk about love at first sight. And this was love at first sight. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew whatever it is, it was going to be somehow revolve around this. I love sports. I grew up around sports. I knew sports and I knew particularly knew baseball, but the whole idea of being able to incorporate this into television, which was this fascinating thing to me was just like it, it was like I was in love and I was it was like I said to myself I don't care what I have to do I'm going to get a job I left the middle of the I just left in the middle of the tour like, hello goodbye I left I went from office to office they kept throwing me out politely you know what are you doing I'm looking for a job well, don't go to person go over here go over here you could not do that now obviously with security being what it is you could never do that but then you could and I wound up getting hired as somebody met a gentleman named Lenny Zaslowski who was in charge of the copy boys. And he says, I said, I really need a job. And he says to me, whoa, you seem like a good enough guy. He says, now that you, could you, could you go over there and take that paper, take it off and thing and put it on a hook? I said, that doesn't seem too challenging to me. I think I can handle that. He says to me, he goes, uh, okay, but it's a dead end. It's like four to 12 on a weekend. So don't pay any money. I said, I don't care. I don't care what it pays. I'll do double shifts, triple shifts. I just want to learn. I want to, I want to do this. He said, okay, well, you've you got a good attitude. I'll give you a job. So that's, that's how I started. And I just worked myself, you know, got to meet the sports guys over time. They, they were on the fifth floor. This wire room was on the fifth floor. I got to meet them all. And over time, they'd come in the office. They'd come into the wire room. And I'd say, you see that story on, uh, like, Frank Tanata of the California Angels at, like, 17 strikeouts last night? And I'd say, I'd say his, his ERA is now under two. And I'd say, how do you know this? And I'd say, well, I just know it. And so they would they come in. And after a while, I'd say, hey, kid, what you got? I'd say, you see, Lynn Swan scored, had scored three touchdowns today, whatever it was. And so over time, they got to know me, and then they said to me, well, you belong in the sports department. So they, they, they said, we'll, we'll see if we can, uh, we, they brought me down. I met Chet, uh, Scotty Connell and Chet Simmons, and, you know, and uh, I, uh, Scotty was great, and, and Chet was a little bit more difficult. Chet was the president of NBC Sports. He was a big deal, and Scotty was like the executive producer, really good guy, really good guy, Scotty. And Chet was too. He was just a little bit more uh, stringent and difficult to sort of get to know. But, uh, you know, those were my first interviews, and uh you know, I, I had a famous interview with Chet. It didn't quite go the way I, I, it should go, but uh, but I, I eventually wound up getting into the sports department there in short order. And, uh, you know, I, I made myself, I worked myself to the ranks. Hey guys, real quick time out here. As we march through this episode, we're going to hear comments from some of the biggest names in the industry talking about Flip, starting with our own Ian Eagle. Flip's message was always clear to us on the net side, do your show. Do your show. Wins and losses, that's not something that we can control, but we can control the show. The way you look at it is, did you have a high quality show? Flip made sure that we were undefeated. I want to talk about that Chet interview, that Chet Simmons interview. Before that, mm -hmm. though, I want to rewind to the beginning of this because I want to tell you what I heard. Yeah. And, and this is meant as a compliment, Flip. Yes. I heard... Flip was on a, a young flip was on a tour, decided this is what he wanted to do mm -hmm. and did not leave until he got the job. 
And that's what is beautiful about you. Like you probably didn't even think twice. You're like, oh, this is what I have to do. Whereas anyone else would have agonized. What do I need to do? Who do I have to talk to? Should I call someone? You just did it. I didn't know in a way. I just, you know, I was so, I was so convinced myself that I, I, I would not only could do this, but I could do it well. And that I, I, it would be remiss on my part and probably NBC's part if they didn't take a chance. I, I just didn't see to me like they they could could see there'd be any downside. I mean, I didn't have a polished education. A lot of people were, you know would apply and you know they went to Brown or Harvard or Princeton or you know one of the Ivy League schools and I didn't have that kind of education and you know I'm kind of self-made. Uh, you know, I, I uh, so I had to, you know, I had to sort of work for everything. Not that you don't have to work and <laughs> believe me, getting an education is the greatest thing in the world. I'm just saying, back then it was you know it was like it helped to really have that that somebody opened doors. I had nobody open a door for me. I had to open my own doors. I had to convince people that I, I could do this and I could, you know, I would, you know, I was going to get it done and, and um, that I was a good hire and I was a good person. And, you know, that without references and without, you know, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to do that. I mean, think of yourself, anybody walking off the street saying, hey, I, I, this NBC, great. Hey, here I am. Hire me. Oh, okay. Sure. There's about you did 100,000 people wanting a job and we're going to hire you. Okay, great. So I want to get back to the Chet Simmons yeah. interview. So yeah. uh, for those who don't know, he is a sports broadcasting hall of famer. He's yes, the former absolutely. president. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Former president of NBC sports. You interviewed with him. Mm -hmm. And was president as a, of ESPN, by the way, too. Oh, is and that right? Scotty, they went over. Yeah. They left NBC after, you know, I kicked them out basically. No, I, they left <laughs> NBC after uh, I got in there and uh, after a few years and they were, uh, they were, when they were starting ESPN, they hired, they hired to, uh, Chet and Scotty to run it. Chet was the first president. Scotty was the first executive producer. And they were they were good choices for for what uh, they needed ESPN to do, especially at that time. So yeah, they, I'm, I didn't mean to digress, but I was just wanted to fill people in on that. No, that's good. Backstory is good. But as the story goes with your interview, Chet asked you if you could recite the 1961 Yankees lineup. Is that true? Did he do that? Yes. And did you do it? I said to him, um, I could do it. And he says to me. Yeah, but you got to name you got to name everybody. I, he said. I said on the starting lineup. He said, "Yeah." I said, "All right, I'll do you one better. If I name the whole team, will you give me a job?" He said, "You can't name the whole team." I said, "I can." He said, "How can you name the whole team?" I said, "Watch me." And I did it. Did I you do it today. It. I mean, can I do it today? Probably. Let me try. I'm gonna try. I'm pulling. Yeah, let me pull up uh, Baseball Reference real quick. Uh, you, you're gonna cheat on me now. Well, I gotta grade you. I gotta grade you. Okay. Uh, one second. Yeah, Okay, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Let's do it. 1961 Yankees. I'm Chet. Yeah. Well, I'm good with this. I haven't bookmarked the Yankees. Oh boy. Um, okay. Let's see. I'm Chet. Young Mr. Filipelli. Name me the 1961 Yankees. Bill Scourin, Bobby Richardson. Tony Kubek, Cleet Boyer, Johnny Blanchard, Yogi Berra, Elson Howard, Hector Lopez, Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, Bob Turley, Bill Stafford, Whitey Ford, Louis Arroyo, Jim Coates, Roland Sheldon, how many? Uh, Louis Roy. Wow. How many names? Twenty. Wow. Yeah, know. you're at about twenty. You're into the pitchers. Um, Ryan Doran, Joe DeMastri, 
Ryan Dern, by the way, yeah, four games pitched in four games, and you know who he is. But he counts that year. Wow, uh, Fritz Percal. I don't see Fritz. Twenty-three. I don't what see do Fritz. Fritz was, I don't a, know. Fritz was a util, like a, a backup infielder. Um, am I too short? I think you're the right height. Give me initials. Give me the give me the initials of the last two that I don't get. <laughs> um, let's see. Here's somebody you didn't get. Yeah. Uh, initials Initial. are AD. Pitched AD. in five games. AD pitched in five games. He was 20 years old. Household name or not? Eh, you'll kick yourself, but oh, don't, no. Don't tell me that. What's the other one? Give me the other initials. Uh, here's another guy. TC. Pitched in 21 games. Oh, Tom Chaney? Tex Clevenger. Tex Clevenger from the Angels. Tex. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, that's right. Tex Clevenger. I should have known that one. I'm blanking on the other one. Go ahead. Al Downing. Oh, of course. Al Downing. Narcoleptic. Like is me. that right? Yeah. What do yeah. you know? You didn't get that, like me. No, I did, but I, you, you I decided to. Sometimes I call. I do sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. I've noticed. Sometimes I do. Well, thanks for noticing. How about doing yeah. a staff meeting? Well, that's not good. Well, I've never noticed you doing that. It's mine. Yeah. It's right. Linda's, that's so good. Yeah, <laughs> I've never seen you do it in that. Well, um, you get so how long? Let's talk about NBC Sports. How long were I'm you really there? bothered by that. See, I forgot about Tex Clevenger. That really bothers me. And Al Downing, I should have known. You know, Al Downing gave up Aaron's home run. The record-breaking home run that Aaron hit, uh, 715, was off I, of Al I kind of knew that. Yeah. And Tex Clevenger was famous because he had, like, big ears. <laughs> yes, I remember Tex Anyway, oh, now I got to click on, yeah, Tex. I'm going to look up Tex. Give me a little, those are big ears. Wow. Um, give me a little bit about NBC Sports. How long were you there? What did you do? What were your highlights? What did I do? Well, I was, you know, what would I do? I was, um, I mean, I was, a, I started like a PA, if you will. And I worked on, and I became an AD and associate director. I worked on a show called Grandstand with Lee Leonard and, and uh, later Brian Gumble. Brian Gumble cut his teeth on a show called Grandstand, which was uh, NBC like sports wraparound show. And it was their, their, like their answer to the NFL today before it became NFL Live, which I later wound up producing actually with Bob Costas. Um, but uh you know, so I worked on those shows. I put, you know, highlights together down in the tape room. I, you know, I, I worked on shows. I worked on graphics. I worked compiling graphics. I did research. I did a number of things. And then, you know, I just sort of uh, became an associate director, uh, which was great. And which is, an, you, an associate director sits in the back bench of a mobile unit. Front bench is the producer director and the technical director. The back bench was, is like the support people. So you're a support person. You know, you make sure all the commercials get run and you look at replays to make sure that, the, you know, they, uh, they're not about to uh, snap, the, snap the ball in football or throw a pitch in baseball. You're not going to miss anything. You know, you sort of help out, call replays, that sort of thing. And, uh, and you know, like I said, you, uh, you, uh, you uh, do the timings of the show, make sure we get off on time, on on time. If there are conditions, you just can't leave a show when a show ends. Sometimes, you know, there's like three minutes to the hour, five minutes to the hour. They want you to fill to the top of the hour. So you got three minutes to get off. You run another commercial. You run your promos. It was that kind of stuff. It's you're not a being humble. Stuff. So you're being was, humble again. Here we are. You're, talk, you're talking about being on the back bench. Yes. When according to my research, you produced three of the most noteworthy games of the 80s. I have the Bill Buckner game. Mm -hmm. I have the Kirk Gibson game. Mm -hmm. And I have the uh, World Series earthquake. That's no, my research. the World Series eight, Earthquake was ABC. 
ABC and okay. That 89. Now, but, but I was there. I was ah, that's I how was I not, know. Yes. I was in the earthquake. <laughs> how about that? But I wasn't, yes. I was not, no, I was not. I did not produce that. I okay. ABC did that. But uh, that was that. We were there the week earlier. It was NBC's in 1989. That was that was NBC's last year with baseball, and uh, we had lost we had lost the the uh, the rights to baseball to CBS. God help us all for about four years, and uh, well, they were going to be four years, and uh, it's what I call the black hole of baseball. <laughs> Those four years, but that's sorry, that's the way I feel. But um, but the. Um, uh, we had done the uh, LCS the week before uh, the Cubs and the and the uh, the Giants. It was a five. It was a nondescript series. It was noteworthy only because the Cubs were you know close to getting into a World Series, except they ran into the Giants, who buzz saw them. And Will Clark was having a, was or world in those days. That's what he was. You know, he was uh, Clark. He was called an all world player. So you know, anyway, that um, that week before was uh, NBC's last game. We thought, who knows to how long. And uh, but after all about 40, you know, 45 years, 50 years of baseball, I mean, to be in a business covering baseball that many years and to lose it the way we lost, it was very, very tough on everybody. But that was NBC's last baseball game. We thought for who knows how long and it, it turned out it was only been a few couple of years. But uh, anyway, so I did. Uh, but I was uh, did that. And then I was I had a chance. I took a little vacation and I was in, decided to go watch the World Series. And I was in the, the ballpark when the earthquake hit. So that was a rather interesting experience too. You know, the lights so hit, you go back and forth, and I I knew right away it was an earthquake. Uh, I did because I said to somebody, I said, to, "That's an earthquake. We're in an earthquake." I knew it right away, and because I you know I, I had been in a few of them. I had been in, in, with NBC Sports. We've been overseas, in Japan. I was in, I was in one in a Rose Bowl game where the, the we had one during the Rose Bowl, and the camera started to shake, and uh, Harry Coyle was directing and. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and he says to me, hey, this camera, this guy, guys, stay in focus. What are you doing? What are you doing with this camera? I said, we're in the middle of an earthquake. And that's what it was. It, an earthquake had hit us. So I'd been in enough of them to know what it was, to know when, you know when things are moving around. It's not a good thing. But to be in a ballpark and to see it, it, in that ballpark in Oakland, to see the, you know, the light stanchions going back and forth. And light, I, I thought one of those things was going to snap. And that was, that, was, that was rather scary. And I think it really could have been a catastrophe had it not been where it was because most of the fans who were there, it was a Bay area series and most of them were from the Bay area fans. So they're used to that stuff. I mean, if, if you come and you're not used to that, that stuff could be a little frightening, but they, they were used to it and they didn't panic. And that was, I think that was a great thing or they could have had big problems that day, but it was scary enough what happened, believe me. All right, guys, let's burn another time out real quick and listen to Ken Singleton. Talk about Mr. John Jay Filippelli. I've always told Flip that I think he would have made a great baseball manager because of his people skills. And, and to me, uh, that is very important when you're trying to lead a network in the right direction. And he's, as we all know, he's done a great job with yes. So after NBC lost baseball, that's when you left NBC, right? I left NBC, yes. There was a change in um, Mike Weissman, who was my boss and my mentor. Mike Weissman is responsible for my career uh, more than anybody else. Uh, he... Uh, he believed in me before it was fashionable when I was coming up through the ranks. Mike was a producer and I worked on so many shows with Mike. I can't tell you how many shows I worked with, you know, as, a, as an AP associate producer, as an AD, whatever. I worked with him on a lot of shows and we became really good friends. But also he, you know, he trusted me to help put the shows together. And he, he would, most producers don't trust uh, 
I mean, you have to trust. If you're going to be successful, you have to trust your staff. But if it takes time to gain trust, and Michael trusted me right away because he knew I knew sports, and he, you know, he, he, he knew that I thought because of him, and I, I grew up around him in the business. He knew that I thought like him because I, I learned from him. So therefore, he trusted me to do any number of assignments that he probably wouldn't have trusted anybody else to. So we got to know each other really well. I did good work for him and with him. And so, you know, he believed in me before it was fashionable to believe in me. And he promoted me, kept moving me along. And when he became executive producer of, of NBC Sports, which he did, he promoted me to producer and eventually put me on the World Series because, uh, you know, but I really liked, uh, I loved working baseball with Costas and Kubek. They were just so great to work with. And I, not that Vin and Joe weren't, they, they were great. Vin Scully's an all-time great, but I just enjoyed the, kind of enjoyed the backup game because, you know, nobody cared. It was a backup game. It was like going to point to point and you can have a lot of fun. We used to have the greatest time doing those games. And there was more pressure on the Joe and Vin game because they were more, they were more, you know, they were older, they were more, you know, they, they weren't as uh, liberal in their thoughts about how to do baseball production as we were. Costas was crazy. And I just loved working with Bob. I mean, for the most part, when I didn't want to kill him, I loved him. And so we, we got along great. Tony Kubek, too. Mike Weissman, a fellow Hall of Famer, right? Yes, Mike Weissman is a fellow. Tony Kubek, I believe, is, too. Okay. I believe he is. I could be wrong. But if he's not, he should be. So let's go chronological. And I'm going to go real quick here. And, it, and it's yeah. with respect to both of these organizations. Uh, I just don't want to get into it too much. You did some time with WWE and then you did some yes. time with the baseball network. Yes. Um, I think the baseball network is a, a podcast on its own. We should do. Um, but it's quick, quick, what, what is noteworthy about the baseball network is, is just that it was at the, when CB, CBS had it for four years, the baseball after NBC lost it to CBS. And then there was, then major league baseball took it, didn't make a deal with CBS. They decided to take it between NBC, ABC and major league baseball. They decided to form their own baseball network if you will, and put the games on alternating between NBC and ABC. The, the two networks would air them, and they'd air them, you know, they'd air like, you know, what, uh, 14 games at a time, there were 28 teams, 14 games a night, uh, once a week, you know, for, for a period over the summer, then they would have the postseason, and they would divide it between NBC and ABC. It lasted two years. It was actually very fascinating because I got a chance to run the production of it, and I got a chance to, to hire so many people who are now staples in the business, both in behind the lens and in front of the camera. You know, one of them being Joe Buck, among others. Uh, I got a chance to hire and to nurture and to, you know, and to teach and to whether it was a, a, you know, a teacher. I mean, he was already a great talent. He needed my help. But, you know, producers, directors, I wrote a book on how to produce direct baseball games because they needed to be uniformity. You had all these different local productions doing baseball all different ways. They had to have some uniformity and so it looked like a network. So we were all doing things the same way. So I had a chance to basically teach network quality and network sensibility to local productions. And that to me was still one of the most great, greatest achievements I think of my career was to be able to make that work from a production standpoint, it worked really well. From a, from a technical, from a financial standpoint, we had to guarantee the money from the postseason. Then the strike came in 94 and that was the end of it. We couldn't make the money that we promised baseball. It went away and then Fox got the rights to baseball. But it, it was noteworthy because it turned a lot of people, gave a lot of people a chance at careers. So that was great about the baseball. And we broke, we broke the glass ceiling when it came to women. I mean, we hired the first women analyst in the booth. That was Susan Wallman. First woman truck producer ever was Carol Langley. And she was the, the first woman ever to produce a baseball game on a network level. So we broke some, we broke some really interesting ground there. And I, we were, had a lot of innovations and I was very proud of that work, although it was short-lived, but it meant a lot to me. So that was the baseball network. And WWE was something that I did when I left uh, NBC, when Mike Weissman left, I, I left with him. 
Uh, and I, you know, NBC lost the baseball. You know, I was a, a baseball producer principally without portfolio. So I, you know, I had to do something else. And I went to work for Vince McMahon for two years. And, you know, Vince is a great marketer and they taught me a lot of things about marketing. I learned some things in the job, but I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, it really wasn't what I wanted to do. I had no, no knock on it. I just wanted to go back and do baseball in some way, shape or form, which is my first love. Longtime listeners know that we bond over both having worked at WWE. It, there's an inception moment going on here. Did, did you know that, so you do know that I authored a bunch of books with them. One of them on the 50th anniversary of the uh, company, there's a picture in that book of you and Vince producing television. Did you know that? No, I did not. It's amazing. So it's so inception, meaning you and I work together at Yes, and it's you and Vince working together at WWE in a book that I wrote. Well, that, I mean, to say Vince and I work together would be a bit of a stretch. In the but, same room. <laughs> uh, because, you know, Vince, Vince, worked, Vince was Vince's boss. And uh, it was hard to sort of, uh, it, it was, you know, if you weren't, if you didn't grow up in the wrestling business, it's, it's kind of a tough place to work. And I didn't grow up in the wrestling business. But I always, like, like a lot of fans, I enjoyed wrestling and I enjoyed, the, I enjoyed being a fan of wrestling. And, uh, you know, but to work it is a different thing. And I clearly, I mean, I thought I did a decent job, but it was not really what I wanted to do. But, and, but, but Vince is great at it. He lives in, I mean, it's his company. He's brilliant at what he does. I mean, there's nobody in the world of the history of wrestling who could touch Vince McMahon for all that he's accomplished, all that he's done. And uh, so I, I tip my hat to him as a marketer and as a, you know, as a, an, an entrepreneur for sure. Great marketer, no doubt. I want to go back to the baseball network real quick. Yeah. Hypothetically. Yeah. If there was no work stoppage in 94 and 95, uh -huh. is there a baseball network today? It could have been, but, but I, I think that what would have happened along the way is that somebody well, I mean, this was obviously uh, the CBS didn't, the owners did not want to go back to CBS. CBS had not been a, a success for them. It had been a success in terms of the perception of the way their games were done. Um, it wasn't a perception. It wasn't a success in the money they were getting. It just wasn't. And there just wasn't a big appetite for the game when CBS, where the contract was up. So baseball, as opposed to, you know, just sort of saying, like, uh, I'll take any offer that comes along, decided that they put their own network together. Like I said, it was NBC, ABC, the two big networks. And also ESPN was involved because the, we didn't have the infrastructure. It was the hardest thing. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done because the infrastructure to do all these games, you, you just have to understand what it takes to put a baseball game on the air, but it's not just covered a baseball game. It's also all, all, the, all the hardware and all the distribution that goes on around it. And it just didn't exist. So, I mean, I, 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 it, those two networks could either, either network could not handle it and together they couldn't handle it. So we had to go to ESPN to put, do our studio work on how's our studios for the pre-games and post-games and everything else had to come out of some other point because we just didn't have enough room in, in, inside of those, those network uh, buildings to be able to pull all this, the massive production that was the baseball network together. So uh, we, we were actually involved with three networks involved. We had three networks, those, the, and it was like another one of these things where we were very lucky to get on the air because it was technologically the hardest thing that I've ever been involved with. And thank God we had people like Ed Delaney who later became, come with me, came with me when we started Yes. And without, I mean, Ed is one of the reasons Yes got on the air. Ed is as good as they come technically. And Mike Webb too. Mike Webb did a good job. I don't want to sell Mike short, but 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 Ed Delaney and I had gone did the baseball network together. So I really knew him. He was my first hire 
when I was when George said to me, you know, you're gonna we gotta start this thing tomorrow, and I had to have a budget, you know, basically for you know for all these studio work and all the you know all the studios and all the mobile units and the producers, directors, the programs, all the things that were gonna be endemic to yes. I mean, we had to have some kind of number to know what, how much we we're going to spend and, you know, and, and how to put the, the, the money part of this together so we could make the network, you know, solvent and work. So if it wasn't for Ed Delaney and all the, all the work that he did and Mike Webb, we never would have gotten on the air. So I, I owe them both a, a huge debt of gratitude. And when I give my speech tomorrow, they'll be a big part of it, particularly Ed. Let's get to your time at Fox, because there, there's a lot to talk about here, uh, a lot of interesting items here. You were coordinating producer for the series, first World Series, correct? Yes. For the I network's was, first, 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 yeah, first season was 1996. I, I was hired by Ed Gordon and David Hill to shepherd their production. I mean, they, they, they Ed came from CBS, which didn't have a big baseball sort of background. And, you know, Ed, it wasn't Ed's bailiwick. I mean, Ed, Ed knew baseball and Ed knew a lot of things, but I mean, in terms of actually doing the production, they needed, they needed somebody else and they needed me. So I knew Ed Gorin very well. I knew David Hill fairly well, but I knew Ed Gorin very well. And they pitched me to come and when, when the, when the baseball network folded, come to work for them. And I would be coordinating producer and I would be in charge of putting their baseball together for them, which is what I did. You know, obviously with input from David and from, from Eddie, I didn't do it by myself, but uh, uh, that's what I went to do. And I, I spent, uh, I spent, what did I spend there? I spent three years there and I, uh, you know, the first two were great. The last one was, uh, not to my liking, you know, things had changed and, and I don't want to get into some of the particulars, but I just felt like, uh, you know, I had done what I was born in to do. I felt good about my accomplishments, particularly the first year when Fox had never done baseball and we were getting write-ups in the world series in 1996 that Billy Webb and I worked on. I brought Billy Webb with me. Billy Webb came to Fox because of me. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of history that people try to rewrite history. No, no. Billy Webb wanted to work with me. I wanted him to be my lead director. That's what happened. That's why he was there. Uh, there were other people, very good producers, very good directors, but I wanted, I wanted Billy Webb. I had worked with him on grandstand uh, way back in the day at NBC, we had known each other through the years. He worked with me at the Baseball Network, we're doing ABC's portion of the when they were uh, doing the postseason. He had uh, worked with them, and 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 by extension worked with me. Uh, when I when I was forming the baseball, he's the only director I wanted since I was going to do the league game. I love Billy Webb. I don't know any, and I worked with the great Harry Coyle, another, another Hall of Famer. And he was a great director, Harry Coyle, and, and a legend in his own right. But I've never worked with anybody I was so intuit with. Uh, so on the same page with as, as Billy Webb. I love Billy Webb. He's one of my favorite people in the history of life, my life. And I miss him dearly. He passed away a few years ago. And uh, he was a great director and a really good guy. And we, we were so symbiotic. We had so such synergy between us that we would finish each other's sentences. I mean, we could literally, he'd look at me, a look would tell us, I would tell by a look, where he was going, he'd look at me, I'd look at him. I would handle the editorial. I'd, I'd work with the announcers and I would do all the replays and that sort of stuff. He would handle all the technical, all the camera shots and the tape rolls and all the other stuff that part of a telecast, the audio, whatever. He would handle all that. And so, but together we, we, really, did a, we really did a nice job of being two maestros when a lot of times you, it's hard to have, you only can have one maestro in a truck, but we were able to make it work where the two of us, we each had different responsibilities, but yet we melded into one. It was, it was a communion of which, uh, like of which I've never had professionally with, with anybody. And I've worked with some great people and had great relationships, but not like this one. So this was, uh, this was a great thing for both of us. And I'm really glad I had the experience uh, of working with such an outstanding professional and person. 
Bill Webb, a 2016 Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame inductee. Um, and it, sometimes it's that shorthand or that chemistry that you guys have or, or that people have that makes a production that much stronger. A couple of the things, industry first, that you're responsible for while at Fox. Um, you introduced the first regular speed instant replay. Is that right? Yes. Why? Why not? <laughs> well, I know uh, why not. In fact, uh, I, I would not. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, uh, you know, it's interesting. Like sometimes people do not want to introduce things because they just don't, they do, either don't get it or they uh, are afraid to try something different and they don't want to be, have it fail and then have somebody say that it failed. I never cared. I never, ever cared about failing. Never. I mean, I, because I, I, ultimately I knew that I wouldn't. I always believed, I always bet, in my, bet on myself. I always believed that I could get it done. I always believed in the people around me. And if it didn't work one time, well, that didn't mean it wouldn't work another time. I mean, I always knew the idea was right. So, I mean, why would you, listen, let, let me ask you a question. If, if, you know, I don't know, if Ricky Henderson was hitting a triple and he's going motoring around the bases out of leaving the box, why do you want to show it in slow motion? The 100%. I mean, so who shows speed in slow motion? It never made any sense to me. So I was trying to get that done for a long time. And I was never able to quite, even though I had a lot of say, ultimately some of the older uh, production people at NBC, before I got to be in charge of what I got to be in charge of, you know, they just want to do things that they were set in their ways. They want to try different things. That's fine. But when I got to a position where I could try different things, I tried a lot of different things. And I tried it once or twice when I was at NBC and I had great success with it. I really liked the idea of it. And then when I got a chance, and then we just sort of put it away for a while. And then we got to the 96 World Series. And people, what's new, what's new, what's new, what's new and different. Everyone wants to know what you're going to do that's new and different. That's what everybody, well, the writers want to know. Especially with Fox. What are you guys going to do that's new and different? I said to Bill Webb, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do normal speed replays, real speed replays, regular speed replays. He said to me, what? I said, yeah. He said, why? I said, because we're going to. Because I'm telling you that there's going to be, something's going to happen. It's going to happen. There's going to be speed on a play. It's the difference on the play is going to be speed. And we're not going to show it in slow. We're going to show it in real speed because that's the way it should be shown. Why show a slow-mo in real speed? It doesn't make any sense. So he thought about it. All right. So we waited and waited. We had one or two. We tried one or two little ones just to see. Like a guy run out first base. There was no reaction. Nothing happened. And then Girardi is, is up in game six of the 96 World Series. And Maddox throws his pitch. And, and Girardi, it's a triple you know, drives like O'Neill in and the Yankees, you know, take the lead. I think it was at the time they went ahead. And uh, and it's a, it's, it was the biggest hit of Girardi's career. And, and because it is a game, the Yankees win that game. They win the, they win the World Series. So, you know, and the, and the stadium is going wild. They, you could feel the vibration in the truck of the stand, of people's, of the shaking in the stands, of the, of the like the, the, the thunderous, like ovation and, and sound that was coming out of the stadium. So the idea of not only Girardi going in full speed, but the sound that it, the, the crowd and every part of it worked. It was a thing of beauty. You go back and watch it. Go back and watch the 96 World Series. Watch game six. Watch Girardi's triple. It's, it is artistically a piece of work. And we, we, it was the right, if we were going to do one at a, with spotlight on where everybody could see it, that was the that was where it went, and it changed everything. I am telling you, I got calls from people in the industry for for weeks about that replay was great, and all of a sudden, the next year, everybody was doing it, it became commonplace. But and it gets lost in history. 
but it wasn't lost on me and it wasn't lost on Billy Webb. I admired Billy's adventurous spirit. I admired the fact that, that he would go along with me on that because he didn't have to. I mean, he could have said to me, uh, although I could have overruled him, I was in charge. But, you know, I tried to work with Billy on everything. We never, we never, we never acted like one of us was in charge. We acted like both of us were, were together in trying to put on the best show that we could, which is the way it's supposed to be. Ironically, you would later be credited for the super slow-mo. Am I right? I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> that 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 was that that was just me being ridiculous. That was like uh, <laughs> you know, we we said to people, "What's new?" Well, it was nothing new. It was like uh, I said, "Billy, let's grab a tight shot of a base, and if you know, a guy slides it, we'll have the spike hitting the base or whatever it is, and you know, and we'll just put it into a tape machine." It was just all it was was a tight close up. You know, of, of a base, you know, guy sliding into a base or whatever, and we had it into a tape machine. But the first time somebody was by safe on a glove, hits the, the ball hits the glove and the, uh, the foot hits the bag and all that stuff is going on. And you could see it in a tight shot. It was like, whoa, whoa, is that good? So, you know, that was, yeah, okay. You know, we did that. And, but, you know, but, and I called it, you know, I called it a, uh, a super slow mo, whatever we called it. Then when I got to yes, I, you know, I called it a yes mo. I mean, oh, that's, that's your fault. Great. That's brilliant. It's, it's, it's just a super slow mo. That's all it is. But 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 again, because people hadn't seen it, or people then you know, look if you could think of it. I mean, one of David Hill's great inventions. This is David Hill, not, not me. David Hill said to me, "We need to put mics in bases because you can get the sound because the, the the business was changing so that it used to have these little six inch little speakers and these TV sets and whatever. But now they have these these speakers and they had you know quad sound and surround sound and all these different sounds and. The, the speakers was getting so much, the sound was getting so sophisticated, the audio, that it made sense to put a mic in a bass. We could hear a slide, a guy sliding into a bass. Yeah, whoa. So that sound was being amplified by these speakers and it made the in-home experience so much more dramatic and so much more interesting. So I give David Hill, guys banging in the walls and the outfit, we had mics everywhere. We could hear conversations, you know, bullpens, all kinds of stuff. Not that the players really appreciated that, but whatever. But so we were able to, we, we really did take it. And we, we cleaned NBC's clock. And, and that was very gratifying to me, having been a former NBC person for many years. And then, you know, Mike Weissman left and I left because Michael left and Michael left because there was a change in regime, uh, you know, people running the, the sports department. And so they wanted their own people. And so I was, I was you know, I was part of Michael's group, baseball, whatever. So I basically left with him. And uh, but to produce that World Series and to have every, every, every New York Times and everybody write that, you know, Fox was not only, you know, beating, you know, uh, you know, doing such a great job, but they were beating NBC at its, at its own game, which was supposed to be baseball. And we were, not that they were doing a poor job, but we were doing a better one. Okay, guys, we're taking our last time out here to listen to Bob Costas talk about his friend, John Filippelli. Flip has led a textured and in many ways extraordinary and in some senses challenging life. And when you're somebody's friend, you go on that ride and you understand it as best you can. So for me and many others, uh, Flip isn't just a great colleague, but he's been a great friend. So if we stopped there yeah, and we called it a career, which we're not going to, you're yeah. a Hall of Famer. You're a Hall of Famer if we stopped right there. I'm going to list a few other. Maybe. I don't maybe. know. I don't okay. Know. Well, well, let me list a few others yeah. that happened along the way. Yeah. Uh, the Olympics, Super Bowls, Monday Night Football, Indianapolis 500, Wimbledon, golf, college football, wide world of sports. Can you believe you did all that? No. Um, but there's, you know, there's doing it and doing it well. Um, I don't know that I did 
any of those things particularly well or, or better, like Hall of Fame well. I think I did them okay. I, did, I think I did some better than others. You know, I think what I knew about, you know, uh, uh, what I knew about certain sports and what I knew about car racing was, you know, you could fit a, like a, you know, a, a thimble in a, in a, you know, in a, in a, uh, in a tailor shop. I, I didn't really know about a whole lot about it, but I knew, I knew enough to know history and I knew how big the Indianapolis 500 was. And I knew that with the right producer, director of talent that, you know, if you have the right people as an executive, what you want to do is not mess it up. So, you know, if, if you don't know, and you can't contribute to the, the art of it, to the creativity of it, to the furtherment of it, then you should know enough to get out of the way of it and not to mess it up. And I knew enough not to mess some of these, some of these events up when you have producers like Bob Goodrich and, you know, some of these legendary people that I had a, a great fortune to work with at some of these networks. And, uh, you know, you let them do what they do. I mean, part of being a good manager is not to pretend you know what you're doing if, if, if something is not your area of expertise. It's to surround yourself with people who are good at what they do. So, you know, they can do what they do and, and you, you manage them. You know, if you don't see what you want or you see things need to be changed or, or you know, further in some way or whatever, you go do that. You know, I thought some changes need to be made in Monday Night Football, and I made those changes that I thought were necessary. You know, and the, the, some of those people have been there a long time, and they thought it was their birthright, and I didn't think it was. I never thought any job in this business is anybody's birthright. I think that you have to earn – every day you have to earn your keep. Now, there's a lot of respect you show for people who have been doing it a long time, and not every game you're going to have is you – know, every piece of artwork is the Mona Lisa. You know, it just isn't. You know, how hard you try. I mean, I've done games in the truck that were like 14 to 1. That was some of the best work I ever did was to try to keep an audience for nine innings in a game that was not of any consequence. Try that one day. I had a World Series game that was like 12-3, and it was like 8-1 in the third inning. So you, you try to keep interest in a game like that when, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, here's the next batter. Oh, now they're only down by, no, it's only a 10-run lead now. You know, no, it's really hard to do. So you, you got to really produce. You have to make sure you have interesting things topics video clips you know sound bites you know i don't things that you could run topics of conversation you know i don't preview tomorrow's games interview, whatever you could run that's going to keep interest in a game where the, the game is of no consequence at least at that moment so that's really hard producing anybody i don't say anybody but it's a lot easier to produce a six five bottom of the ninth walk off home run than it is a 14 to one baseball game try that one day so somehow hmm. flip after all this yeah, we still haven't even touched on your greatest accomplishment. My kids. Oh, see, now you're taking it serious. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes, obviously, obviously, your your family, um, yes. who I know, and that your kids are wonderful. Uh, how do I segue and now make this into your greatest accomplishment being curtain call? Oh, I knew you were going to go there. See, <laughs> you know, but, but tomorrow night I'm going to plug curtain call. Well, you that's my next question. I'm going to plug it. I'm going to say. You know, for those of you out there, how many are out there? A couple hundred? All right. We're going to double our audience at Curtain Call. This is what we're going to do. Okay. <laughs> That's not true. We have a big audience. No, no, we actually have a rather big, we have a pretty big audience. I And I appreciate, uh, you know, the letters and the notes that we get. And, you know, I, uh, you know, I remember rate, review, subscribe. Maybe we can stick that in there. I forgot about that. Uh, but, uh, and that's been, that's, you know, I, I, I got to talk a little bit about you for a second. I, I uh, you know, we've talked a lot about me and I guess it's because of my night, you know, and whatever. And I, I appreciate that. But, but, you know, this thing, this network, and yes, I mean, we would not be as good at whatever we are. And I don't like to say we're better with this or that, but we, we are good. I mean, I will say that. I know we're good. And we would not be as good as we are without you, honestly. 
and the job that you do, because it's so integral, especially now with you know everything being digital, so many things being digital, we couldn't be where we are without without your guidance and your leadership and your technical excellence. And you know, I know Matt Stucco was involved in this today, and he's one of our uh, he producers of the podcast stuff, but he also does a lot of other things at the asset. He's really good at what he does, and he gives you you know depth, and he gives you you know he gives you. Um, the kind of quality work that, you know, is why you could do what you do is because you have good people with you. And he's one of those very good people. So, you know, and we have other people, you know, who, who, who work, who function with us and, and they, they don't function with us, they excel with us. And, and we're very fortunate to have them, you know, and I'm very lucky to, to have the people we have. Yes. I mean, you know, it's one thing I, I didn't, did I hire, I didn't hire everybody. I hired a lot of, I obviously hired a lot of people here and most of these people are still here from day one, which makes me feel good. It makes me feel like we built a culture that we could be proud of. And we've done the kind of work that people want to stay with us. And, and I think that that's, that speaks volumes. You know, if, you, if I'm proud of it, I'm proud of a number of things for sure, but I'm really proud of the fact that we have a culture that, you know, has endured for these 20 years and most of the people are still with us and they enjoy working at yes. And, you know, the times have changed, the business has changed. So many things have changed. The industry is always morphing and, and undergoing, you know, sometimes seismic change, but the fact that we've been able to stay together and do the kind of work that we've done is really a testament to all of us. And I, and I, I hold that most, most near and dear is like I told you like my speech tomorrow night will be, I don't want, it's not really going to be about me. It's going to be about the people who have made this the journey that it has become for me. And I'm so very grateful to them. Well, thank you for those kind words, Flip. Um, and before we put a bow on this, can you let me ask you a few quick hitters? Sure, whatever you want. We're not going to talk about yes? Well, we this is what the podcast is. We've done 56 episodes about yes. We could still talk more about yes, but let me get some of these quick hitters in. Because sure. these, these well, are fun. You know, that's right. What are we talking about? We're talking about yes for an hour here. I get it. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, the caveat's going to be for me, and this is my rule. You don't even know I'm going to ask you these questions. Yeah. I don't want you to to have. Oh, by the way, I forgot this. I met John yeah. Linder at the baseball network. Yes, you, you know, did. John Linder worked at baseball network. Yeah, he was he was um he was like our in-house counsel, and he was he worked for Dick Ebersole and for uh, for Dennis Swanson, and I met him the very first or second day that I was on the job, and um, you know, and I uh, I took the Linder right away. Uh, he took to me right away. He didn't really know production then. And, uh, you know, so I, 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 I taught him production and he taught me so many things about the business side that I didn't know of, of the network and also, you know, just the, the television. And so I taught him production. He taught me the business side and we became really fast friends. And, and to this day, we're obviously we're great friends and uh, he means the world to me. And I must tell you, we are in very fortunate to have him as, you know, as CEO of the company, president CEO of the company. And he makes my job so much easier because you know, he knows me and he gives me a lot of sway to do what he believes I need to do. So I'm very grateful to him and for not only his friendship, but his expertise and, uh, and all the, all the, the things that he makes yet uh, possible. Yes. I echo those comments flip. And, and you actually mentioned Dick Ebersol. You know what we should yes. do is get him on. We should get him on. Yes, he would be great. We, I can get him. I can get him to guilt to it for me. Fellow hall of famer. Yes. All right. These quick hitters. The only rule yeah. I have for you, Flip, on these quick yeah. hitters. Yeah. No. Yes. You, I don't want you because I'm going to ask you who's the best play-by-play -play person. I don't want you to mention anybody from yes. That's putting you in a tough spot. So I'm going to I'm going to cover okay. for you. Okay. Best play-by-play -play guy you ever worked with. Well, the easy answer is Vince Scully, but the the you know, I have to say, honestly, 
I, I think Joe Buck is right there. Uh, Vince Scully, I mean, more years doing it and, and certainly an incredible career. I mean, there's no, no ways about it. Don't shortchange Vince Scully ever. And he, if anybody says he's the best of all time, I can't really argue that. But I would say that right, I think right with him is Joe Buck. I think Joe, Joe Buck not is not Jack. No, Joe. Jack Buck was great. It's a different kind of talent. Jack Buck, yeah. different, older school. Um, very strong talent. No question a strong talent. But, uh, I mean, look, I mean, I go back to the Kirk Gibson game. They were both great calls. I mean, Jack Buck's call is the one that that, that stays with people. But Vince call, Vince, Vince Scully's call was great. Vince Scully's call was, uh, in the year of the improbable, the impossible has happened. The impossible being Gibson's home run. And the improbable being that the Dodgers were like only like one basic hitter. And the whole team was Gibson. The rest of the team was not, a, was not, I call a good offensive team, not by a long stretch or a long shot. Um, that would be the improbable that they got there basically on two players, Earl Harshizer's arm and Kirk Gibson's bat. And even Kirk Gibson's bat was, it was good. It was strong, but it wasn't, it wasn't the, the he wasn't a league leader. So they basically got there on, on, on guile and good managing and, you know, strong pitching defense, but, but, but those two players got them there. So with the year of the improbable the, that year, right. The impossible has happened. That's a great call. If you think about it, even if you don't think about it, it's a great call, but, but Buck's call, Jack Buck's call is, is epic is, is for the ages. It's, I don't believe what I just saw. That, right. that is like, whoa. So, you know, I, I, so you're talking about two hall of famers and Jack Buck and in, uh, and in Vin Scully and, you know, whose call is, but I mean, it looks, it's, it's semantics, it's whatever it is, but, but Vinny had a great career, you know, and people, people forget how good a football announcer Vinny's been too. I mean, you know, Vinny did the catch, the famous Dwight Clark catch game. He was the announcer for that, Joe Montana, Dwight Clark. I mean, he had a lot of big moments as a, besides his, uh, his incredible career with the, the Dodgers and the postseason baseball with NBC. He was just, he's incredible. But, but Joe Buck now has had all these World Series since. It, we split it early when I say we, when I was at Fox 96 to, I guess it was like 2000, 2001. And the contract then went slowly to Fox, the NFL, the NFL I'm sorry, the MLB postseason contract. So uh, Joe, Joe's got a chance to call all these World Series. And he will go down in history as called the most World Series and if you think about all the great calls that he has had, and I think that part of his success, and I've tried to teach this to some of our announcers or through the years as people I've worked with is don't fall in love with a signature call. It's very easy to say, you know, it's here's your call and it's a signature, whatever. But the reality is the best calls are the ones that are organic. Just describe what you saw. Just describe what you saw. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, Jack Buck, Joe Buck's, Kirby Puckett, uh, Jack Bucks, you know, uh, Kirby Puckett is, is an incredible call, the, the father. And, and the son, some of the son's calls are just just, just as epic, just as interesting. And it, for as good as the Jack is, I mean, it, he would probably be the first one to say that his son is, was probably stronger or better. But Joe Buck is a legendary, and, and he deserves his, his definite place in the Hall of Fame, which he's gotten. And he'll someday get into the, the Fort Frick wing, which is the the Cooperstown, you know, the the the, the, uh, the broadcasting wing of, of uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. I mean, Joe Buck will undoubtedly get there and deservedly so, like his father. Best color commentator you worked with? Well, I can't say even of our own people, right? So we can't we can't go there. Um, right. Uh, so I would say I would say Tony Kubek. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Give well, me I'm an odd. Other, I mean, I've worked with some great. I mean, Tim McCarver was great. You know, I but I you know I prefer Tony Kubek. 
I want a moment flip on air that made you sweat. Oh, I, I got what? Oh, God. Uh, 1988 Olympics in Seoul, Korea. I was a, a producer of the opening ceremonies. I mean, I mean, which was, I mean, basically what you do with these events is that you can't have, uh, you can't have like 25, you know, you can't have 50 different countries covering the same event with all the different cameras and things. So what you do is you, uh, uh, depending, you could take a feed of the host country, in other words, this, which in this case was South Korea and Seoul. So they could cover it for you and you could either take their whole coverage and then voice it over with your announcers, or you could take their coverage basically and, and augment it with your own cameras, three or four or five of your own cameras, which you could focus on, say, the American contingent, which you would if you're if you're NBC and you represent the United States, obviously is the team you care about because that's your team, that's your country. So you focus your production on them. So, because, and the South Koreans are not going to focus on the Americans. They're, they're going to focus on just doing a production because that's what the host team does. The host feed does. So we got the host feed and yet we were able to concentrate with our own cameras on parts of the production that we needed to sort of concentrate on, but we didn't have that many, but we had some. So, and then basically to run it, it's, 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 it's it's a little bit more detailed than I'm making it, but it's it's not it's not supposed to be heavy lifting. If you're covering everything by yourself, it becomes heavy lifting. This is not quite that, but it's it's challenging enough because of it's it's like what's what I'm just gonna tell you about what happened. Uh, so there was a they they released it like right before the you light the torch, which is the big thing, right? To signify the opening of the Olympics. You know, they they had a, a what they call the doves of peace ceremony, and so they released like I don't know, like a thousand doves, and so they're flying all over the place, and they doves they just flying around doing their thing, right? And uh, so you know, the next thing is going to be they're going to light the torch. So I'm looking up, and no. I see a lot of, yeah, a lot of these doves, these poor doves, they went into the they hang, they started hanging out in the cauldron, like what was going to get lit. Uh, so I sat there and I said to Mike Weissman, I said, um. I think we're going to have a problem. We're probably going to have. I I think they're going to light, he's going to light the torch and these poor birds, these poor doves are going to get fried. Something's going to happen. He says to me, what are you going to do about it? I said, what do you mean? What am I going to do about it? Okay, sure. What am I going to do about it? He says, well, maybe we don't show it. I said, it's the opening ceremonies. We can't miss the torch. You can't miss the lighting of the torch. It's what you do. I said, so So I turned to Bucky Guns, who is a great director. Bucky Guns, good guy. Bucky Guns is doing the, uh, the, the feed with us. And he says, what do you want to do, guys? And I said, uh, why don't you like have him just put the thing down, light it real quick and cut it off because I don't want to, I mean, this could be horrifying unless these, these doves get out of the way. And so we're just watching the guy go up the stairs and nobody's telling him don't go. Nobody's telling him don't light it. I mean, this is, this is not on us. We have nothing to do with this. But, we, but we, what are you gonna do? So he lights the thing up and goes. It was, it was awful. It was terrible. That that made me sweat, and that was just horrible. But you know, I'm sorry I'm telling this story. I don't know why I'm telling this story. But it was it was hard. I asked. It made I me asked. Sweat. That made me sweat because uh-huh. you know, I'm a lover, and I, and I mean, I, nobody wanted to see that. But it was like, what are we gonna do? I mean, you not cover it, not do it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, awful. So it, it was awful. It was what it was, and I don't. Know that thank god that, that they, maybe they, the bird the doves got smarter over the years they release them a different way i don't know but i don't to my knowledge that has never happened again but that All was right. that was pretty that was pretty upsetting let's so go to a better was, topic that, i got a better one because that, thank that's god tough. i haven't done that one anymore i exhausted uh, that one what are you most proud of flip 
I don't know. I, that's really hard to say. I've, I've been fortunate to work on so many different things that have given me satisfaction and work with people who are just so outstanding to, to work with them and to collaborate them on these various sporting events that I've been able to do for nearly 50 years. I am, I'm so fortunate. I can't tell you. I mean, I, to be able to, to pursue your dream because my dream was always sports in some capacity. I, I played high school baseball. So I was a player in high school, pretty good, but I, that wasn't good enough to be a professional. But so, you know, to, to be able to, to further that love and of, of so much, I love baseball, particularly growing up. I just loved it. I, I still do. I mean, I get so in my bloodstream, uh, you know, from the podcast, you, you hear me how much I love it and how much I talk and how much I, I know about it and how much it means to me. I don't know that I could have done anything even close in my life and, and been able to do it on the level which I've been able to do this with the people which I've been able to cover sports with. So, and the events I've been able to be part of and work on it in some bigger roles, some smaller roles, but but still to be there, to have some presence in it is, is just remarkable and so fortunate. And I'm so lucky to, you know, follow my dream. My, my brother, Rick, you know, has is, uh, is, is done really well for himself in business. He's a great kid, great, great kid. He's, he's, mid 60s but uh the, the idea that you know that uh, you know he would always said to me he's so lucky to be able to do and he, he had a great life he's, it's not lacking anything it's just that you know i was able to do most people kids growing up they, they dream of being in sports and they just don't get there for whatever reason i dreamed it and i not only dreamed that i lived it so that to me is this i'm very proud and very fortunate you know some of the moments that yes you know the you know, the Derek Jeter's 3,000th hit was the home run was so great. Such a, won us an Emmy. That was so wonderful. And Jeter's been eccentric to so many of them. The dive in the stands, the famous dive in the stands was great. Uh, on that, the Derek Jeter's last game where he got the walk-off hit uh, to win the game was great. Uh, the passing, unfortunately, of George Steinbrenner in 2010, where, um, you know, he passed away and the Yankees were playing in the, the Yankees. The American League was playing in the All-Star game. And, um, uh, and uh, we were fortunate Joe Girardi was managing the team because the Yankees had won in 2009 and so many of the Yankees were on that team that were able to, you know, we had lines to uh, to Anaheim where the game was being played and we were able to sort of, you know, get Bob Lorenz there because he was out there on vacation to Arizona to visit his son and we were able to get him to Anaheim and we were able to anchor our coverage from there and get the players that we needed for reaction and then the, between the great Ashley Fugazi, who we always talk about in this podcast, who worked so hard to, you know, make sure that we got all the interviews that we needed to, to anchor our, our basically 15 hours of live coverage, which we did between, you know, uh, just getting all these different, you know, people from the world of sports and entertainment uh, to talk about George, whether it be on two ways on, you know, on the phone or we're able to do actual interviews with, with video and that we're able to you know, get back and hold, put together. And, and the way in which we handled that moment. And I remember I, the day before I'd had an operation, I had my gallbladder review removed and I was so, you know, so high on drugs because I was, you know, it was like, what you needed to do? I was getting an operation. So I get a phone call and it was seven thirty in the morning from Randy Levine telling me that George had passed and, and I remember I was not, I was not really hundred percent. I was still not off some of the narcotics. And, and I said, I, I got to go in. And I, I forced myself to go in and, and to sort of help anchor the coverage because I, I, I had to be there. I just had to, and, you know, but, but uh, the reality that we could do the kind of work that we did on that day, I mean, George would have watched this network and been extreme. He was very proud of the network. He really would have been proud of that day if it wasn't for his whole passing. Right. But, but I thought we covered it in a way that, uh, 
you know, he would have approved. And I, I think we, we certainly won a number of Emmys for it. We've won a lot of Emmys through the years. Not that that is the be all and end all. That means that, uh, you know, every great piece of work you do is going to win an Emmy or, you know, sometimes bad pieces win them and it doesn't, it's, it's a subjective experience, but it is a, somewhat of a benchmark. And the fact that we've won 134 of them as a network, you know, is quite a testament to the people we have and to moments like that. We've always showed up in a big, we've showed up in a lot of small moments too, but we really do show up in a big moment. And that to me is the ultimate is how, you know, if you could, because that's when your audience is there, that's when the, that's when the most attention is being paid to what you do. And that's when you, you really need to show up no matter what the audience is, because you're not doing it for the audience. You are, you are, and you're not, you're really doing it because it's your job, but big, a lot of people watching, less people watching, it doesn't matter. Um, the fact that we could we could go to Japan and do live coverage in our in our first year on the air, we did the, we did you know games from Japan. The Yankees opened the season with Matsui in Japan. Maybe it was our second year together on the air, rather. And the fact that we could do that in our infancy and with our own crew, no feeds, we did our own, and make that thing work was was quite extraordinary. And it sent sent a huge statement to the industry. The regional sports network went over to to another country. And, and took in all the hardware it needed and did its own games and made it look exceptional. And, and we won Emmys for that too. I mean, there were just so many things we did that were groundbreaking and different that I, I'm so grateful to have been part of it. And to, maybe I shepherded some of it for sure, but, I, but at the end of the day, it's really about all the people that make us who we are. So I'm very grateful. Well, Flip, a big congratulations to you. I couldn't be more excited for you. It is obviously well-deserved and in all seriousness, I couldn't be more proud to call you not just a colleague, not just a podcast partner, but more importantly, a friend. So uh, big congrats to you. Enjoy the night. I know you will. Uh, yeah. Thank you for, uh, but thank you for uh, being part of this with me. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, we, we should tell folks that, you know, there, there's a, uh, you know, there's a lockout. So there's not a lot we could do terms of baseball news that we could actually deliver or give you because there's nothing to report right now. So uh, it's hard to do shows, but I think what we're going to do is do some shows in the future that deal with some of the luminaries in the world of, of you know, sports broadcasting, for instance. And, and uh, you mentioned Dick Ebersol. I'll ask Dick, I'll ask Joe Buck. I know Joe Buck, obviously. I could ask him and try to get those sort of people. We'll talk about their careers. We'll talk about memory lane and we'll talk about a lot of big moments with them. I'm sure that uh, will be more than a little interest to our audience. And I'm excited about the idea that we go down that road it was one of the premises we, we saw curtain call that we, we do more of that and now we have a chance to do that because we obviously don't have the sports the baseball to talk about so we'll talk about a few other things we, we, we're very flexible like that bob costas right we have him on our list believe me if we we have the inside track on bob if we want i'm sure we could after nine years of, of, of going back and forth with bob I, i'm sure i can get him to do a podcast all right let's land this thing flip in the words of the great ashley fagasi it's time to land the plane uh so that's it folks uh Thank you for listening to this special edition, I suppose, of, of Curtain Call. And I, like I said, I'm very grateful to all of you for your love and your support and, uh, and helping make this the podcast that it is. We don't, we don't go anywhere without you. We need you and we need your love and we need your support and we need your, uh, you know, your encouragement. So thank you for that and thank you for all that you do. And hopefully we'll see you sooner rather than later. So stay tuned for more Curtain Calls and as the weeks go by and uh, we will... Uh, we will give you the best we have. So thank you so much and we'll talk to you soon.